I'm feeling a little bit better this service, God, but my goodness, I felt so awful last service. And as I prayed then, I pray again that uh, I hope, I hope and pray, God, that people realize there's not much of Anthony here today. And there's going to have to be a lot of you, God. And when I am weak, you are strong. And I believe you will touch our hearts. And if anybody feels that I've been manipulative, uh, Lord, I don't think that's me at all because I'm so uh, weak right now. But, Lord, if we're feeling a touch of our hearts, it's probably you. Help us to be responsive to that. Help us to be open to what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. So when a preacher prays a prayer like that, are you a little bit nervous? You might be. You might want to hang on to your wallet. Seriously, you might want to hang on to your wallet. Because uh, we're going to talk about something... Uh, very near and dear to my heart, very near and dear to us as a denomination, to us as a church. And we want to finish our four series Sundays on missions. And uh, just to give you a little bit of, uh, and no, we're not going to do this, but the early alliance used to, uh, in a service like missions, they would have a missionary speak and then they would take an offering, then they would take another offering, then they would take another offering. They would do up to four offerings. And the Spirit would come upon the congregation so much, people would be throwing their watches in, their jewelry in, their rings, whatever, deeds to their property. And no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I think that was for back the 1800s when the Alliance started out, not for today. But I do believe God still has the same game plan. Nothing has changed in his mission. Now, a number of Sundays ago, as we were uh, talking about that, and we've been going intentionally in on missions, Pastor Tristan, who is uh, now in that country that, as he said, uh, tastes like chicken, and, uh, or did he say it was the opposite of chicken, whatever he said, and uh, Tristan began to share, he went to the Abrahamic promises in Genesis, and he walked through that and talked about Abram's calling, and he became known as Abraham. And as you know, Abraham is considered the father of Israel. But Abraham was called to that. After that, we had something else come up. And then I shared a little bit. Uh, I focused on the last Abrahamic promise that we were going to be blessed as Israel was blessed. And the purpose for it was not a prosperity gospel thinking. Now, if you don't know what prosperity gospel is, prosperity gospel says God wants to just give you a whole bunch of money because he loves you, because you're a Christian. You have completely missed the gospel in the scriptures if you think that. If you look at the Abrahamic promise, the last promise is God will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world. Oh, you thought it was all for you. Or I thought it was all for me. Nope. And it isn't that God doesn't mind you having some nice stuff. But he's giving you that stuff, the nice job, everything that you have, so that you can be a blessing. Interesting, if you're a history buff at all, wherever Christianity has gone, especially evangelical Christianity, the nation that it's gone into, when it hits about 10, 
there begins to be a uptake in prosperity. Uh, historians have tried to figure that out. You know, they thought maybe it's some morality teaching. You know, there's no corruption anymore. Uh, maybe it's uh, uh, caring for other people more than yourself. They've tried to figure it out. But I believe there's a blessing that comes where the gospel goes, and the purpose of that is so that we can be a blessing to others. So today we're going to wrap up our four Sundays looking at missions, and today we're going to look at where we should be reaching, where we should be reaching. And to some of you, it's kind of a mute point. You know exactly where we should be reaching. You know the scriptures, you know the passages. And for you, I am sorry, you're going to be bored to death. No, I think everybody can hear it over again. A number of years ago, my wife and I were moving from Tumbler Ridge, you know where that is, close by, and we were moving to Regina, Saskatchewan. We decided for various reasons. We had friends living in Cold Lake, and so we wanted to take kind of the northern route. We drove past Slave Lake, and we were driving along. This is before uh, map, not before maps. I'm not that old. Ah, <laughs> oh, that head cold. It's really getting me. This was before iPhones and cell phones and all that kind of map stuff that you can get electronically. And uh, we were driving along, and I, we got into Saskatchewan, and uh, we drove and drove and drove, and all of a sudden there was a sign, and I can't remember if it said uh, three kilometers to Northwest Territories or something. It, it was somewhere around then that I realized we had forgot to turn. So we pulled out the map, and I looked, and we had driven at least one hour past the turn that we missed. And I thought, well, you know, normally anywhere else in the world, not a big deal. You'll just kind of take a different little bit route. But I discovered we were on a one-way highway, and the only thing we could do was turn around, drive for one hour, and then make our turn. Why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because a lot of you, you came to Christ, you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe some of you even went to Bible school, and you had a destination in map. Jesus Jesus definitely told you where he wanted you to go. You were sold out for Jesus. And somewhere along the way, you missed the turn or you turned when you shouldn't have. And your Christianity is something that kind of wiggles around in the back of your mind, but it isn't at the forefront anymore. And it shows up everywhere. Shows up on how you behave, it shows you on the friends you have, shows how you spend your money, shows what you do with your stuff, shows what you do with your time, shows what you do with your talents and abilities. It shows up. Many of us have wasted years and put ourselves way off track. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and we're going to answer the question, where are we to be going? Where are we to be going as followers of Christ? What's the directions we should be taking? Where are the nations? Acts 1.8 is a passage that I often always use if I'm going to preach about the filling of the Holy Spirit. No matter what the scriptures call you to do, as difficult as it may seem, as impossible as you may feel it's going to be, Acts 1.8 is critical to your understanding. The Holy Spirit is in you. He is greater than he who is in the world. And this is a passage you usually use, but we're going to focus instead on the last half of this passage. 
because it tells a whole story. It's the Abrahamic promise unfolded. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Here it comes. Here's the blessing. The power comes on you. And you, this is what you're supposed to do with your blessing, and you will be my witnesses. Where? There's four places. In Jerusalem, and in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, to those that were reading this, to those that were being told this, uh, it made perfect and clear sense. Now, if you were Jewish, and this was written right when the early church just got started in Jerusalem, you would have understood or you would have thought that Jerusalem was the center of your world, and it was. Jerusalem was like where they lived. It was where their neighbors were. And they needed to understand that this gospel, this Christianity, was supposed to be shared with those right around them, right in their own city. Oh, I remember reading a book a few years ago, and the author stated how his local church, they were such a prejudiced church. Uh, they were in a community with a lot of people of color. They were a white church, and they would never reach out to the locals right in their neighborhood. Oh, but they would send thousands of dollars to Africa. No, this is really clear. We are going to be blessed, and God wants you to be blessed so that you can reach out to your neighbors with Winterize Your Ride or Show and Shine or Christmas Eve services or, or whatever it might be, a plate of food or, or their snow needs to be shoveled off, whatever it be. God wants you to bless others with what you're blessed with. I was at prayer retreat two weeks ago and once a year in the Alliance. Our district goes to Banff and we stay at a nice hotel. And I ate lunch one day with a couple by the name of Vera and Danny Karanji. Now Vera and Danny, they were from Yugoslavia and uh, they came here oh, way back, I think in the late 70s to Canada. It was their dream. They were going to get a business and a job and they were going to buy a house and they were going to get ahead and their kids were going to be so blessed. And So they came to Canada. They settled in the Hamilton region uh, and they went to church right at Stony Creek Alliance Church in Stony Creek. It's kind of just down the mountain they call in Hamilton. And uh, they began to attend there. Now they both had grown up in church uh, a kind of, as they describe in the book that I was reading, it was kind of a it was a Baptist church, but not a real live Baptist church. If anything, it was a kind of church like we were reading that the outer courts in the temple that were reserved for the Gentiles, uh, this kind of church would have been using it for their own use too. Uh, they were not focused on outreach, focused on anybody else but themselves. So they came to Canada, started attending Stony Creek Alliance Church. Stony Creek Alliance Church embraced them, taught them, bless them financially, help them get settled, help them with their business, help them with their jobs. And then along the way, about five or six years in, God began to touch this couple and say, I want you to go back to what was Yugoslavia. And they were from a town called Novi Stad, and it's in Serbia. And so the church understanding that they were blessed with this couple and they were blessed in Canada, they sent this couple back to Novi Stad. And this couple began to plant a church. They first worked with the church that they both grew up in. That didn't go so well. And then their third child was born. 
and within six months they discovered he was terribly sick. They came back to Canada and he had cancer. And that's another whole story as God walked him through those dark waters. You know, we were doing our will, what's going on? And, and God intervened and miraculous things happened and they ended up back in Novistad. They labored and they toiled. I need to tell you that this area, Novistad, there's like basically like five Christians in this whole city. Very low population of born-again Christians. I'm glad to say, so I'll fast forward you, not bore you with the whole story. I asked them, so how are things going today in Novistad? And they said, well, the church we planted is now about four or 500 people. And you're going, well, that's not that big. Actually, for Novistad, that's incredible. And they've planted five daughter churches in the area. Wasn't that incredible that Stony Creek Alliance, they understood the call that God wanted them to bless their city and reach out to the newcomers. Let me ask you, do you have any newcomers in your neighborhood? I've heard such wonderful stories of people reaching out. In fact, at the Winterizer Ride, there was lots of new Canadians there. And, and truth is, we're all new Canadians. Uh, especially, you know, we had Randy Betcher on staff for a while. Métis has Cree background. And he would always tease me. He said, you're the new immigrant. You took my land. I mean, we were always joking and teasing about it, but he's right. We're all immigrants. And even the natives, they came here, whatever, 10, 20,000 years ago, whatever it is. Why do we get so snarly and nasty and caught up in ourselves and we're, we're just this little Christian club and we don't let anybody else come in? But the text doesn't just stay there. It moves on into Judea. And Judea was basically the Israeli kind of territory. It was named Judea, obviously after Judah, which was part of that. But it was a province of Rome. And so your local city and your province. So that would be Alberta to us. And we as a church, we, we try to share what God has blessed us with. In fact, Pastor Rod was telling me this week, how many came to the marriage seminar with Dr. Gary, uh, whatever his last name was? A bunch of you came. Now, the organizer for that, he's not from here. He asked Rod, he said, why do you guys do this? And Rod's going, what do you mean? Will you invite all the other churches to come into this? You are completely open to that. And Rod just said, well, God's blessed us, so we want to bless others. And he looked at Rod and he said, do you know that's rare? Most big churches only care about themselves. In fact, he told the story of a big church in Alberta that held a big marriage seminar. A bunch of people from other churches came and they got mad and the next year they, they said, we're doing our own thing. They got their own speaker and they just kept it in-house. Instead of 1,000 people coming like we had, they had 200 people come. Uh, aren't they good, hey? He said, what we have is rare. And oh my goodness, people, let's not forget that God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. We want to bless Grand Prairie. We want to bless the peace region. We want to do whatever we can. And we do, and we try. I feel like I missed one. No, I didn't. Jerusalem, Judea. Samaria. Samaria is the third area. Now, it was basically a big region. Uh, you could say, you know, we, we call this North America or whatever, but uh, the best kind of likeness would say, think of it as Canada. And uh, so Jesus was literally telling them, this Holy Spirit, this blessing was going to come upon them, and they were going to be witnesses because greater is he that is in me that's in the world. Uh, he is speaking to you. He's leading you. He's giving you empowering. Uh, he's your counselor. 
this Holy Spirit would come in you and you would be witnesses throughout all of Canada. And we as a church try to work really hard at doing that. And I hope you as individuals, I know, uh, to tease Dan. Dan, in fact, Dan is one of our own, and he's actually got a job where he ends up in the States all the time. And this morning he was telling me a little bit of a story of riding a plane home last Friday and how he got to share the gospel with somebody. And I thought, ooh, cool. He's being a witness all over the place. And then the final one, and this one I want to camp on a little bit, it talks about the ends of the earth. Now, the ends of the earth is pretty obvious. It's wherever you think nothing is or where you would think is just not us, or where you would think is, uh, you know, in Luzon, when I lived there, we would say, uh, this isn't the end of the earth, but you can see it from here. And uh, sometimes people in Grand Prairie say that. Uh, but the ends of the earth is different cultures, different people, different languages. I mean, it's just out there. There's no Christians. And there's a lot of area. And Dan went through this last Sunday, and he spoke about the many areas in the world that have 0% Christians. And we as a denomination have committed ourselves that we are going to deploy or redeploy or send all of our new missionaries to unreached people groups. You need to know this is a sacrifice because if we were to send our missionaries to Ecuador, for example, there, it's been a hundred years of sowing the seeds. And they come to Christ. I mean, I can go down the streets in Ecuador and every second person I meet, I can lead them to Christ. Uh, the, the fields are ripe unto harvest there. But there's a lot of places they just... Now, I know because I have missionary family that went to Ecuador that 100 years ago wasn't so easy there. So the work's been done. The, the soil's been tilled and people are coming to Christ. And so we're going to the hard places. And that's going to come with sacrifice and cost. It's going to come with, with threat and persecution. It's going to come with they may be there for a short time and have to come back. And uh, in the last 10 years, we as a church... And I misspoke. First service, I said five missionaries. And I sat on the pew, and I thought it through real hard. You know we've sent out eight missionaries in the last ten years. We are their primary supporting church. Did you know we have seven more missionaries in the hopper that are working at going somewhere? We desperately need a message like this. And I will tell you, this is probably the most selfless message I will ever preach. Because I honestly know that if I preach about missions, if God touches your heart, some of you may choose to redirect your tithe, which I'll tell you you shouldn't, but you may redirect your tithe to missions. But I'm okay with that. Because I have been blessed so that others can be blessed. So the ends of the earth, that's where we're going. That's what we want to do. And it's been so, so exciting. So point number two, after getting through Acts 1-8. What is still left to do and what is to come? What is still left to do and what is to come? Now, to kind of get our heads around this, I want to really get our hearts attached. If you go to Matthew 25, and you can just thumb there in your Bibles, you don't have to necessarily read it because I'm just going to abbreviate two stories and then go to the third story. There is a long, big, long, and I'll call it a diatribe that Jesus said. And each story ramps up the ante more than the story before. Jesus starts in Matthew 25, 1 with, uh, he talks about these ten virgins. 
And they're waiting to get married, and they're, they're at home, and they're supposed to keep a lamp in the window, and the lamp is supposed to be on so the bridegroom can find his way to the bride. And as the story goes on, five of the bridesmaids run out of oil, and they just didn't plan enough. They weren't prepared enough. And they begged the other five, can you give us some of your oil? And the other brides say, but if I give you some, then I will run out too. But the reason I want to point out this story is that the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and the very last sentence that Jesus says in the story, I want to read it to you, therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour when the bridegroom's going to come back, friends. You do not know the day or the hour. Did you know Jesus is going to return someday? Are you ready for it? Are you living like it? Then you get to the next story, and it's uh, uh, in the New International Version translation 10 years ago. uh, They now use the word bags of gold, but 10 years ago they just would have used the word talents. Now, the word talents we understand in our language. The word talents is our abilities, our strengths, what we have, what we can give away, that kind of stuff. Talents originally in the Greek meant bags of gold. So the newer NIV is just translated bags of gold. Well, basically the story goes on to talk about a rich man, a businessman who's going to go away on a long trip. And he gives some of these bags of gold to three people. And you can read the story at some time, but bottom line is uh, two of them don't do so well with the bags of gold. Uh, Really, it's out of fear of the master. Uh, They just sit on their money. They squander it. But one of them doubles the money. And this is incredible because you get to right to the very end of that story. Verse 29. And this is kind of the takeaway that Jesus, this is him ramping up the story a little bit. For whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Wrap your head around that. Oh, and here comes some pretty harsh words. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) Think your worst thought. That's this. Jesus is up the ante. He has filled you with the Holy Spirit. He's given you a task. He has told us the gates of hell will be pushed back. Nothing will stand against them. The only thing that is needed is your heart. And God wants to bless you. And then Jesus, and we're going to read through this, he finishes off this beautiful uh, three stories with the story of sheep and goats. Let me give you just a little bit of thing and understanding that I understood just recently after I'd gone to Africa. Now in the story, there's sheep and goats and they're hanging out together. (coughs) And I've always wondered, how do you tell the goats from the sheep? You know what's really hard? It's really hard to see into people's hearts. When I was in Africa, I noticed these, uh, these sheep, these herds of sheep, 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 however you say it, shepherds, sheep, I can't even say it right, uh, my head cold. So there's these group of sheep, and I said to the locals, I'm just curious, is there any goats? And they said, oh yeah, they're in the flock there. And I looked, I saw a bunch of white sheep with black markings, 
they all look the same. I said, nope, there's just a bunch of sheep. And they said, no, 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 look closer. And I looked closer. I said, well, there's a few of the sheep got their tails up instead of their tails down. Ah, they said, those are the goats. You know, goats are amongst us. They're in our group. They look like us. They smell like us. They act like us. They love being in the blessing of the church. But listen to this story. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, verse 31, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Did you hear that? They're blessed so that they could be a blessing. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or need clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, remember it was the goats? They looked like the sheep. They acted like the sheep. But their true heart nature was revealed. Then he said to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you think he's upping the ante? For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not close me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Verse 45, he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Is your brain exploding yet? The scriptures talk about looking in a mirror these days. And, and sort of, we're, we're kind of sort of one step removed from Jesus, although the Holy Spirit's in us, he speaks to us. 385 of you went through that, and you're at least starting to grapple with or grasp how you can have this intimacy, how you can have this heartstring relationship with Jesus, how you can hear his voice when he talks to you about your neighbor or the guy in the street that's falling down drunk or, or what the neighbor that needs their shovel, their snow shoveled off. And maybe if you're here this morning and you're not seeing what the scripture's trying to say, I, I'm sorry, but maybe you're one of the goats. Maybe you're one of the goats. 
Let me ask you a question to try to finish this all off. Are you worried about the pressures in our society that are coming bearing down on us, the way of life we've known and we've loved? I mean, we're getting taxed in to oblivion, it feels like sometimes, doesn't it? And, and we're having all these rules and laws that are forcing us to do and accept behavior that we have always thought were wrong. And no, it's not a trick question. But if you're frustrated, listen to this verse in Matthew 24. And last week, uh, uh, our missionary had it up on the screen, got us all to read it. And I want us to all read it because I, I don't do that enough. So I want us all to read Matthew 24, 14 together. So bring up the passage. And you didn't do so good last Sunday, so we need to practice this more often. So here we go. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and the end will come. And the end will come. If you're frustrated in this world, if you don't like the way things are going, let me tell you, the best antidote, the best blasting gun you could have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have been blessed with money, with time, with talents, so that you could bless your neighbors in Grand Prairie. You could bless your neighbors in Alberta and Canada. You can bless the ends of the earth in Africa, the Middle East, Asian regions, areas that literally are the ends of the earth. My wife Carolyn's family has quite the lineage, and I always have to jump on her coattails. I told her I was gonna say this. She goes, why do you have to do that? And I said, well, because I don't have a story like yours. My wife comes from Huguenots. Anybody, if, if I don't think Del Davis is here today, but Del Davis reads like 18 books a week, I think, and he's probably read about the Huguenots. He could tell you, well, they were in northwestern France, and they grew to about 100,000 people. By the time the persecution finished, for whatever reason, they just became the blight of France. By the time the persecution was finished, there was 10,000 Huguenots left. 90,000 were killed. That's my wife's lineage. In fact, she had an Uncle Willie who, for whatever reason, seemed to know all the history, and you just bring it up, and he would turn red in the face. He would be crying and weeping of what the Huguenots went through. My wife's great-grandfather went to China in the 1890s with Hudson Taylor. And you're going, wow. And I go, wow. In about somewhere in the early 1900s, and I don't know the date, my wife's grandfather, who was born in China, was five years old. They came back to Canada because this five-year-old couldn't walk. And when they began to examine this little boy, they discovered he had rickets. Now, does anybody know what rickets is from? Malnutrition. Yeah, he was with Hudson Taylor in China. His family starved to death. But we know the story. We know that in China, there could be up to 100 million Christians today because of my wife's family that went there and almost sacrificed one of their children just for the sake of the gospel. We have been blessed to bless others. This little boy grew up and he became a Baptist preacher in the 1920s, 1925, 26. 
Him and his family, they only had one daughter at the time, moved to Edmonton, Alberta, and they planted a Baptist church in southern Edmonton. It's still there today. Forget the name, doesn't matter. In 1929, when the market crashed, and in those days, every pastor lived in a church-owned house called a manse. In 1929, when the market crashed, the Searles, my wife's grandfather, grandmother, and my wife's mom, they were kicked out of their house, and they lived in a tent in somebody's yard for a year or two. Well, he carried on pastoring the church. And I just go, wow, that church is three or 400, 500 people today. It's planted a whole bunch of other Baptist churches in the area. This doesn't stop. My wife's mom and dad met in Ecuador. They both were missionaries. My wife's dad, a farmer, doing well. In Saskatchewan, not married, one day God, God, God got a hold of his heart and began to understand this sheep and the goat stuff, started to understand this Acts 1-8 passage about going to the ends of the earth. He started to understand he was blessed to bless others. He sold his farm, went to Bible school, went to Ecuador. He was there 10 years, got married. My wife was born in Ecuador. Through a lot of circumstances and a lot of hurt and pain, he was asked to leave the field. In fact, when I met my wife's dad, he was so brokenhearted about Ecuador, he would almost cry every time he talked about it. He just loved the people. He loved his ministry there, and he just wasn't able to go back. 15 years ago, my wife and I had started doing some church evangelism partnership in Ecuador, and I took my, wife, my wife's mom and my wife's dad and they went back to Ecuador, and we went up into the mountains in one region where they were missionaries, and it was a lake called Colta Lake. And the missionary that was driving us around, he's driving us around the lake, and he points to a building and goes, oh, there's a church of 400. Seriously, 15 blocks later, oh, there's a church of 300. Another 15 blocks later, oh, there's a church of 200. Another 15. It was unbelievable. So we drove to the market at the very end of the lake where everybody would meet on Sunday afternoons, my wife's dad was tired by this time, so he stayed in the van. We went shopping for a while, and as my wife was sitting there, the mayor of the city happened to notice him sitting in the van, white skin, went up and started talking to him. My dad speaks, my father-in-law speaks fluent Spanish. And as they talked, my father-in-law said, so how long have you been married? He goes, I've, this is my third term. And my father-in-law, he knew that culture. He said, third term, how'd that happen? Because you need to understand, in Ecuador, when you became mayor of a city, you got all the money you could, and then it was somebody else's turn to become mayor. This guy took the money, invested it in the city, and the city was prospering. And then the mayor asked, have you noticed anything else different? And my father said, well, actually, it used to be when we went to the market, the ditches would be filled full of men who were just drunk as skunks. Their wives would be coming to get them, to take them home. And my father asked, what happened to them? He said, Jesus has changed everything here. So now when you bring up Ecuador to my father, he smiles. He knows what his sacrifice was. Oh, it seemed tough, it seemed hard. And he went through such hurt and pain, and God has done a wonderful work. And this is bringing up my wife. I haven't even talked about her Mennonite side yet. There's enough Mennonites here just to ask any of them what they went through. We are standing on the shoulders of giants. We are in a blessed country, a country that has had a lot of Christians. 
In fact, I remember Pastor Reed, who pastored this church way back when the dinosaurs were here. <coughs> he told me about this church and the struggles, how the pastor had to get here at four in the morning on Sunday just to light a fire in the fireplace. Now we've got time thermostats that just go on by themselves. He told me of a story of the church was struggling so bad financially that the district superintendent came up and they went for a walk and he handed the key to the DS and said, well, you go back, lock the church and we'll shut it down. Then DS sent it back to him and said, no, you do it. And they couldn't come to decide who would do it, so they decided to keep the church going. And I can tell you, Bob Reed struggled and suffered for this church to keep going. We are standing on the shoulders of giants and God has blessed us to bless others. So here comes my conclusion and we still have communion. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Oh, it, it's not all about you. It really isn't. Do you want the end to come? Do you want the kingdom to be ushered in? Number two, who is my neighbor? My neighbor's in Grand Prairie. My neighbor's in Alberta. My neighbor's in Canada. My neighbor's in the United States. My neighbor's at the ends of the earth. And number three in my conclusion, are you all in for the kingdom of God is at hand? Do you know that? Do you agree with that? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as the elders come forward now to help me with communion, oh, I, I think of 1 Corinthians where Paul is describing to the Corinthians how to take this table. And we know clearly that this table is a table of the Lord. It is not a table of this church. If anybody, God, is here, and they are a follower of you, Jesus Christ, may they partake with us. And just like we're taught God, we're going to hold off. We're all going to take one piece of bread and one cup, and we're going to hold off till the elders come instruct us. Because we don't want anybody to miss out, anybody to be in want. And Father, as we take this communion, the scriptures also warn us that we need to examine ourselves. And God, honestly, if we're sitting here and none of the passages even spoke to us at all, maybe our tail is up. Maybe we're one of those goats. And I know your Holy Spirit wants to change and transform hearts. Maybe some of us are just on the wrong road, and we've been on the long, wrong road for a long time. We got this idea in our heads that it was all about us, building our empire, building our little kingdom, our little fiefdom. We've been somewhat kind to our neighbors, but not really. So God, we want to take a cup and a piece of bread, we want to hold them in our hands. And as we look in the cup, we're going to see our own reflection and as we see our own reflections, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us if we need to kind of change up some things in our lives so that we can actually afford to be generous because we've been so busy spending on us. And Father, this morning as I drove to work, I couldn't help but think how my wife and I just happened to be tithing our 10%. And then along came a missionary who tugged at our hearts and we're now giving above and beyond a little bit. God, I believe that as we have these eight missionaries out, and we have Colette before that, and we have another seven more coming through the hopper, we are a church that is all in for Jesus. 
and we want to push back the gates of hell. We want every tribe and nation to hear about you, for then the end will come. If there's anything that's more self-serving, it's that, to see the end come and to be able to see the kingdom reign and evil vanquished and no confusion or misunderstandings anymore and no uh, uh, misunderstood statements that we say on TV or otherwise. Oh God, I long for your kingdom to come. So help us, God, as we take this table. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.